Essay number four. Police, patriotism, polarization, and politics. The land of the free and the home of the brave. It was in 1814 that Francis Scott Key wrote his poem, which would later be adopted as the national anthem. A celebration of everything America. A poem to commemorate the beauty of the United States, to help us exuberate national pride. Now, the national anthem wasn't alone in that regard. Later in the 19th century, one Francis Bellamy would write what we recognize today as the Pledge of Allegiance. It would seem Bellamy was of the school of thought America in the late 1800s was a nation with liberty and justice for all. He certainly gets brownie points for his idealism. He wrote the pledge about 20 plus years after the Emancipation Proclamation was signed. He also lived in New York though, probably somewhat removed from the new institution of slavery that was emerging during Southern Reconstruction, convict leasing and black codes. Blacks were criminalized through somewhat arbitrary laws called black codes now, those laws would inevitably be broken and they would be thrown in prison. And after that, they'd be leased out to corporations that needed cheap labor given the destitute conditions in the South following the Civil War. The infrastructure of the South was devastated and everything needed to be rebuilt. And it would be by convicts. And by convicts, I mean black people. And just like that, slavery showed its head again. In claiming liberty and justice for all, it isn't exactly clear to me if Bellamy was insulated to all of this being in New York, indifferent to it, or maybe just plain idealistic. Let's just say the latter. Now Francis Scott Key, on the other hand, owned slaves when he authored a national anthem that declared America the land of the free. So he doesn't really get much of a pass. Because of America's unique history, there are these uh, unique and, and interesting moments where patriotism and race relations intersect. Sometimes they collide. Malcolm X comes to mind. He wasn't particularly hopeful about the plight of blacks in America. He went as far as to say we should have our own societies, our own cities, our own civic leaders. That's not patriotic. And then there's Muhammad Ali. He refused to fight in a war and defend a country where he was explicitly treated as a second-class citizen. That's not patriotic. In the 1968 Summer Olympics in Mexico City, we had Tommy Smith and John Carlos with their iconic Black Power salute while they're standing on the podium and the American National Anthem is playing. That's certainly not patriotic. It did make for a dope picture though. As for Colin Kaepernick, you already know that story. The man won't stand for the national anthem, deferring to taking a knee instead. 
to protests, police brutality, as well as race relations in America. Patriotic? Probably not. But here's the bridge, though. Today, more than ever before, can't help but feel that patriotism or nationalism, however you want to describe it, is a political statement of sorts. I know that sounds ridiculous to say, but that doesn't make it any less true. Now, I grew up in Georgia. Seeing F-250s fly by me on the road with a Confederate flag on the back wasn't unusual. In fact, it was pretty standard. Provided the social climate back then was a little bit different. This was late 90s, you know, mid 2000s, around that time frame. Somehow, though, being back in the South, you know, in 2018, 2019, seeing an F-250 drive by with a big American flag on the back is somehow more of a political statement than the Confederate flag was back in the 90s. Now, it's just a flag. A flag of the country where I live. America. It's an American flag. It makes perfect sense. In theory, it really shouldn't be that big a deal. But somehow... In today's climate, patriotism is a political statement of sorts. Now, if you disagree, just ask Colin Kaepernick. If you disagree, talk to Trump about what he thinks about the NFL protests. If you disagree, talk to uh, the Golden State Warriors who declined an invitation to visit the White House. If you disagree, ask Dylan Roof. You know, who thought he was improving America when he uh, shot up that church in 2015? If you disagree, ask the next three black people you see what they think it means when they hear the pres president say, make America great again. For better or for worse, whether you like it or not, in 2018, excuse me, in 2019, patriotism is a political statement. It's difficult to understand how exactly we got here. Now, we could say something very similar about the police. A few years ago, if I saw a car or motorcycle, whatever, with a bumper sticker that said, support our police, I wouldn't even think twice about it. But not in 2019. I mean, the police have been in the middle of so many stories you know, so many pieces in the news concerning protest and civil unrest. How could you say anything otherwise? You know, black men continue to be shot and killed. You know, mobs ensue. People are beaten and arrested. Property is destroyed. The media reminds us of the rapidly deteriorating relationship between institutionalized authority in America and communities of color, perhaps especially the black community. Now, I want to be clear, I do support our police, but I also, I'm also in support of police reform. These aren't mutually exclusive of each other. Here's what makes the conversation difficult, though. Say what you will about the police, but the police are a legitimized institution. I know that because if you came home and none of your stuff was in your apartment or in your house or in your condo, 
you would call the police. A perfectly normal course of action. You're not thinking about police militarization or police brutality, you know, and all of these other things. No, you would call the police. They're a legitimized institution. That's not the case everywhere. You know, I'm Nigerian. I'm sure you know that by now. There are lots of situations in Nigeria where you can't trust figures of authority, police or otherwise, because of all the corruption that exists. Sometimes illegal things take place and you don't want to call the police. In fact, it's possible the police have colluded with a criminal or a criminal organization. Maybe they're responsible for cleaning out your house. What the heck do you do in that? type of situation, right? But that's not the case in America. Issues aside, law enforcement is a very important part of industrialized modern states, the U.S. included. What is America without law enforcement? How do you bring criticisms against an otherwise ubiquitous, legitimized institution? Now, law enforcement isn't the only legitimized institution we could study here, right? We could make similar criticisms of the legal system. Again, one of the things that separates a modern, industrialized state from its less developed counterparts is a functional legal system. Say what you will, but one of the reasons people get sued as much as they do in America is because people otherwise have an underlying faith in the legal system. In the absence of that, nobody would ever get sued for anything. It would be a complete waste of time. It's one of the reasons, again, in general, people observe the law. Because when you don't observe the law, you're held accountable in the court of law. The legal system is both ubiquitous and legitimized. Now, we can say the same for the U.S. government. Sure, we can be critical of it. There are lots of things that it can do better, but that doesn't make the U.S. government illegitimate. You understand what I'm saying? If you felt it was illegitimate, participating in the democratic process at all would probably be ill-advised, perhaps even a waste of time. Indeed, there's a minority of people who elect not to vote because they think it's a waste of time, because they think it's illegitimate. But in voting, there is some level of expectation in the government, even if it's a very, very low expectation, a very, very low standard. The government is both ubiquitous and legitimate. The same is true for the institution of law enforcement. This brings us back to our original question. How do you bring criticisms against a ubiquitous, legitimized institution. I mean, at the risk of tearing the social fabric of reality, you can't, not without great difficulty, to undermine these institutions is to flip society on its head, to reject truths that are shared among millions of Americans over centuries of American history. Yo, you're trying to go head to head with American law enforcement? Good luck. Well, yeah, because it looks like we police Americans of color differently than we do other types of Americans. Beyond that, as a nation, we seem pretty tolerant 
of fatal casualties in apprehending black suspects for nonviolent crimes, I should add. Yo, you're trying to go head to head with the United States legal system? Good luck. Well, yeah, because the legal system has discriminated against people of color in the form of longer sentences for decades. And that's not a new thing. Heck, this overt discrimination dates as far back as the late 19th century, when blacks were criminalized for unemployment and vagrancy following the Civil War. And they were too poor to pay their jail, so they were too poor to pay their bail, so they stayed in prison. Yo, you're trying to go head to head with the US government? Good luck. I mean, we're just a few decades removed from a federal investigation of a civil rights leader that wanted to unite people of all races to come together and protest equal rights for all Americans. Tell me again why you feel these institutions are infallible. That level of unwavering faith in these institutions just seems questionable. Now, don't get me wrong. The world will never be perfect. In fact, I believe the imperfections of this world are intended to create a deeper yearning in us for heaven. Even so, it still baffles me how people are unwilling to entertain even the slightest criticisms of how these institutions may fall short. I totally get it. It's really scary to think of an America where you can't trust the legal system or the law enforcement system or even the broader government as a whole. That's not unlike the reality, though, that some people of color feel they deal with every single day. Can you blame them? As diverse as America is, it doesn't have the best history with race relations. And we're not just talking about slavery, guys. It's all of the stuff that came before and everything that's been happening after, too. Differing views of these institutions creates polarization, among other things. Now, that's consistent with what I see to be an emerging trend in American society. Indeed, America is home to a largely heterogeneous group of people. Lots of different kinds of people. So different views isn't new. But it would seem that the trend, maybe at least of the last 15 years or so, has been views that are diametrically opposed. Not just different, but diametrically opposed to one another. There are people who think the easiest way for people of color to avoid run-ins with police is by getting an education and abiding by the law of the land. And there are people who believe you can do everything right and you're still disproportionately likely to draw attention from law enforcement officials, if for no other reason than the color of your skin and racial profiling. There are people who believe the state and federal courts distribute justice based exclusively on the facts of the case. And there are people who believe there are moments when 
racial biases taint how our courts operate. Even to the extent that people of color are statistically more likely to receive a longer sentence for committing the same crime as their white counterparts. There are people who think racism came to an end in 1967 with the passing of the Civil Rights Act. And there are people who think systemic racism is still central to American society. And we need open dialogue to both understand and expose it. There are people who, leave, uh, who believe black lives matter and there are people who believe all lives matter. I would hope you know these are both contextualized statements. Of course, all lives matter. But that's not actually what all lives matter quotes means. There are people who believe facts are facts, like the president's turnover rate is the highest of any president of, uh, over the past several decades. And there are people who believe there are such things as alternative facts, like you know, there's an inauguration for the president and it drew the largest crowd in American history. There are people who believe we should make America great again. There are also other people who believe that America was never great. Or if it was great, it was only great for some people, like people who weren't slaves or people who weren't Native Americans, etc., etc. There are people who believe Colin Kaepernick should just shut up and play football. There are also other people who believe he should keep speaking up. Because this is about far more than a flag or just a national anthem um, or even just football. You know what all these things have in common? These are all controversies surrounding ubiquitous, legitimized American institutions. Law enforcement, the legal system, the American government, including but not limited to the president, patriotism, Honest, reliable news. As a caveat, the news has been below average for a while, although I do think this past election cycle illustrated just how bad it really is. But again, I'll return to my earlier question. How do you bring criticism against a ubiquitous, legitimate institution? At the risk of ripping the social fabric of reality for millions of Americans, you can't. Not without great difficulty. Now, the president is particularly interesting. When I was um, developing the concept for this blog in summer 2017, I told myself I didn't really have a lot of interest in hitting on politics and doing commentaries on politics. Um, I don't necessarily have any qualms with politics, per se. Rather... I felt like it was tangential to what I actually wanted to focus on in the blog, which was race, higher education, and spirituality. But the reality is this. It's difficult to talk about what it means to be a black man in America today without mentioning politics, particularly a politician like Donald Trump. Now, I really can't stress this enough. I don't actually care that much what your political party or who you vote for is. Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Green, whatever. Heck, be communist for all I care. Like I said before, all of these fall short. I think the imperfections of all of these ideologies is supposed to create a deeper yearning for our perfect king, Christ Jesus, and his inaugurated kingdom. To be clear, heaven is not a democracy. God has a plan, and we're sticking to it. In the interim, though, how you vote 
is between you, God, and whoever you choose to vote for. Still, I'll be very transparent in saying I am not a fan of Trump. This isn't about Trump being white and me being black. Indeed, every president in American history, barring one, has been white. Certainly, there's nothing out of the ordinary about that. This isn't about Trump being Republican. There have been hundreds of thousands of Republican politicians throughout the course of American history. There's nothing unique or, or special or particularly interesting about Trump being Republican or him being white or him being Republican and white. There is something unique, special, and interesting about having a president that isn't presidential. By that I mean a president that, by most accounts, does not carry himself like a president. Bragging about sexual assault, mocking disabled reporters, an uncanny knack for sharing false information, the lack of tact evidenced by comments he makes about Hispanics as well as Muslims and blacks, the lack of, of uh, maturity evidenced by his ridiculous Twitter rants. Heck, you have to be some uh, narcissist to say you can go to the middle of Manhattan and shoot somebody and maintain your standings in the polls. That's his commentary, not mine. And some penchant for controversy, picking fights with Miss America, Colin Kaepernick, and several other people. Nevertheless, he was elected. Call me cynical, uh, but I don't think any of this would have worked for Obama. He had to be presidential in every way to make a bid at the White House. For Donald Trump to run for president, he had to be loud, rich, and white. I do think him being a man was very important too, especially because he was running against a woman. September 2016, everywhere I went that year, Japan, Brazil, Thailand, and Singapore, somehow the presidential election, particularly Trump, managed to come up in conversation. I hung out all day with uh, a brother in Christ in Singapore while I was there, and we talked a little bit about the election. You know, fast forward a couple of months later to November 2016, I went to sleep Tuesday, November 8th, with Trump leading Hillary in the polls. And I woke up Wednesday, November 9th, to a text from that brother at 5, 5.33 a.m. There's a 12-hour time difference, so he was still out and about, presumably. His text, just want to offer my condolences to you regarding your new president-elect. Now, a Google search confirmed what he alluded to. Trump was the president-elect. And for that, he wanted to extend his condolences. Now, you can say whatever you want to about Barack Obama or any of his Democrat predecessors, whether it be Bill Clinton, Jimmy Carter, whoever else. But I would venture to say that nobody in Singapore Thailand, Brazil, or even Japan would have sent condolences if any of those men were elected. 
Now, in the defense of the Republican Party, I don't think anyone would send their condolences if George Bush, Jr. or Sr., Ronald Reagan, Richard Nixon, or any of their Republican predecessors were elected either. But Donald Trump is a different kind of president, though. When he won the election, the gentleman in Singapore felt the need to extend his condolences. That's a moment I'll remember for the rest of my life, without question. People remember, you know, watching Kanye's video where he said George Bush doesn't care about black people. People remember when LeBron announced he was leaving the Cleveland Cavaliers. People remember like all these iconic moments in history or pop culture or whatever. I will always remember that Donald Trump's term for me started with a text at 5.33 a.m. from a gentleman I met in Singapore wanting to extend his condolences on the president-elect. Donald Trump is the face of America. My qualm is, I don't feel our president embodies key American values. Integrity, respectfulness, consideration, empathy. Who knows? Maybe these aren't American values. It's certainly possible that I'm the one who's had it wrong all this time. You know, this is the guy we chose after all. Anyway, just some random thoughts. Definitely over 2,500 words, so I'm out.